Hey, show them a little love again. That's an all-volunteer band who just did that. Glad you're here at Waypoint today. My name is Blair. I'm one of the pastors. I do some of the teaching around here. Uh, this morning, we're headed to communion. That's the ultimate goal of this. We're reminded in the scriptures to remember what Christ did for us as a sacrifice. We aren't given details about how often or exactly how to do it. We just know that it's important for us to do that because as people, I don't know about you, but I know with me, sometimes my relationship with God comes down to, God, what have you done for me lately? Where, what, what are you doing for me right now is what I care about. And I think sometimes God must scratch his head and say, what have I done for you? Do you not understand the sacrifice that I paid 2,000 years ago? It's still playing out in your life in a significant way, right here, right now. And if you would just remember, if you would just have that in your mindset, it might change the way that you would live and think. And so for us to be able to get to stop and to go back and to remember that's really important. So on days that we do this, we like to find sections of scripture that, where we can, we can get our minds right, we can get our hearts right as we come to remember what God did for us. And I think I found a section of scripture that's going to help us do that this morning. I want to take you to the book of Romans. Uh, Paul wrote it. Uh, God had assigned him to be uh, the ambassador of God to Gentiles. This is anybody who wasn't Jewish. So if, if you weren't a Jewish person, Paul had you in his sights. And he was going around the Roman Empire starting churches. And... Um, and he started one, uh, and then he would kind of follow up on them. He'd write to them if they had problems, issues. And what we find in Romans is that he's addressing a bunch of different things, but in chapter 11, he's talking to them about an area of pride that they have, which sounds pretty normal. We've all had those moments where we think pretty highly of ourselves. But this area of pride was turning ugly, and Paul wanted to address it. See, the, the church in Romans, uh, made up of slaves, rich people, it was all kinds of people, the majority of whom would have been Gentiles, people who were not Jewish. There might have been a few Jewish slaves, we really don't know. But most of them weren't, and they had concluded that they had been invited into God's family meant that they were favored by God, which isn't, it's not a bad conclusion, they're right. God was showing them favor by including them in his kingdom. But what they did on the other side of that was they looked at the group of people who were close to Jesus, same nationality, grew up with that same kind of belief system. They looked at all those Jewish people who were rejecting Messiah, and they concluded that they, they had all the advantages, but they were rejecting him, so that meant that they were inferior. And as people who had been invited to, into God's kingdom, they were superior. And they started thinking very highly of themselves. Now listen, this kind of thinking has actually popped up in Christian churches over history. You can find it. Where people have concluded that it's okay to think really poorly about the Jewish nation and to treat them like garbage. And Paul's about to address it. Because it's not about politics, it's about prejudice. And there's no room for it. There's no room for it in our lives. And so he's about to address this, and they're, they're thinking this way because they're looking at the favor of God, and they've assumed it's because they're superior, and they've been invited in. So um, Paul starts to address this, starts to address why God is good 
And his goodness should be the thing that's focused on not you thinking you're good. And he starts this discussion um, about the Jewish people and these Gentiles. In verse 11 he said, Did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? Did these Jewish people who rejected Messiah, has their rejection been such that all of Israel can never come back to God? Like, you're doomed. You're done. You're finished. You've been written off. There's no recovering from the decision that you made. And Paul responds to this right after that. Emphatically, he says, not at all. Rather, don't think of it that way. Think of it this way. Because of their transgression... Salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. It's pretty cool. See, we know one of our purposes as a church is to represent God in the world. He uses the word like ambassadors. He uses language like um, they'll know us by our love. Why? Because we're representing God in the world, and we're doing that as a means of communicating with people that God loves them. And so we're, we're, we take God with us when we go and we put him on display in an attempt that that would attract some people or give us an opportunity to speak about Jesus into their lives. All of that happens. And it's not just with everyday people that you run into. God has the desire that the church would have this effect on the nation of Israel. He's not done with them yet. He wants to draw them back to him. And he intends to use people who follow him to do that. Now what's interesting is Paul then moves to a picture in the scriptures that's going to give this more depth and more color. And he chooses, he chooses an image that they would have understood. It, was, it would have been a very important industry in this time. He's going to start talking about olive trees. And the olives were important not just for the fruit, but the oil that those produced were pretty important. And so people would have seen these orchards everywhere. They would, a lot of people would have been involved in this process. And so he starts talking about something that a lot of people would have been familiar with. And just in case they aren't, he's got some stuff in there that helps you understand what's going on. But there's a problem. I, I'm not familiar with um, the olive industry, and so I'm not familiar with what he's about to talk about. In verse 17, he introduces this idea of grafting. He says this. If some of the branches have been broken off, remember, he's talking about Jewish people who've been removed from God's kingdom, and he's using the image of them being broken off. Then he says, and you, you Roman church who full of Gentiles, though a wild olive shoot have been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root. Now, because I don't know much about olive orchards or grafting, I could tell you I had to go look up some stuff. And when I looked up some stuff, I realized that when Paul said this, the people who knew about all of this thought he was nuts. That Their radar would have gone off. Nothing that he said is what you do when it comes to grafting. He's doing the opposite. He's, it's backwards. It's all messed up. And so I kind of want, want to help you understand that. I, I, I went and uh, brought up some YouTube videos because I was trying to understand grafting. I was trying to understand the process, how it was going, all that sort of stuff. And I ran across this guy who was doing this one little graft in his backyard. And the video went on for 27 minutes. And I, 
it was the longest 27 minutes of my last week. And I, I, it got to the end, and I was so dense, I hadn't figured out that he was selling a product. Like there was a, there's a paint that you can use on trees while you're grafting. He was promoting that the whole time, and I was just sitting there taking it in, thinking I'm learning about grafting. I was learning about his product, right? <sighs> but then I ran across a little video. Um, the quality's not going to be great because it's shot in the Middle East. It's some guy in the middle of a field who actually found a wild olive tree, and he's grafting into it. I want to show you this, because if you can start to understand what's happening, and we can put this all together, this stuff is going to start to jump off the pages and make a lot of sense. So I'm going to run this. There's no sound to it. Um, it's just a guy out in the sea in the middle of nowhere. Uh, you can tell this is not some big orchard that he's at. This is a wild olive tree. It's got olive uh, branches, you see the leaves, all of that sort of thing. He just chopped a whole bunch off. We'll talk about why he does that. And then he gets his knife out and he starts cutting into the tree. And you actually have to get pretty deep into the tree for this to work. The, the tannins of the branch have to come into the contact with the tannins of the tree. And so you actually have to cut into it pretty deep in order for this to work. And then, just like Jesus' time, he's going to pull out some plastic and wrap it right around the tree. Yeah. Okay, they didn't use that in Jesus' time. Uh, most likely they used uh, some leather. They might have used cloth. They might have done something. But you've got to make it tight. And you would come back and loosen that over time. And then you would put some sap in there. Because the reason he's covering this is you have to keep it from rotting. And so, um, so he's trying to find a way to protect this long enough for the sap to flow to that new that new branch that he put in, he had it in, it didn't look very big, right? And he kind of slid it in there. Well, uh, what's going on here? Why is he doing this? Um, this is, by the way, um, a wild olive tree. And this is exactly how you would do this. Um, the question is why? Why would you graft in this way? Well, there's only a few reasons you would graft. Uh, one of them is that you want to take advantage of an existing root system and a system that's already pumping sap. So that tree already has sap going through it. Did you see him cut off a lot of branches? That, that tree had enough sap in it to support all of those branches, but as soon as he cuts them off, it's going to send all the extra sap to that one place where the tree has been wounded, and it will aid in the growing of that branch. And it will be integrated into the middle of that. And so he's taking advantage of a root system that's in place here that's got sap pumping through it. Now, the, the other reason you would do this is maybe you want to save space. You want to save some space. In America, this is why a lot of people graft. They have a fruit tree in their backyard, and they go, I have a plum tree, but I'd like an orange tree. And I don't have room for all of that, so... I'm going to take an orange branch and I'm going to put it on the plum tree. And if I can get it to graft on, then I can get two types of fruit. And the reason this works is because the branch retains its nature. It's not um, plum sap in the tree. It's sap. 
What makes it a plum tree is that it was from a plum tree. And this orange branch is now from an orange tree, so it's going to produce oranges. And so to save space, you can have that, and you can grow these kinds of things in your backyard. And people do. They, don't have, they have limited space. Maybe another reason that you do it is because you get bored and you want to prove you can. Um, there's a guy, he um, put this tree together. I think it's the coolest thing ever. That is 40 different fruits on one tree. And by the way, I think it's probably one of the most beautiful representations of what the church really is. A bunch of fruity people all put together. Right? That, that's it. Now, now listen. Um, in ancient Israel, they weren't doing it to save space. And they didn't do it because they were bored. They targeted a wild tree because it had an existing root system. If you planted a tree in these desert areas, you would have to take a long time to care for that tree to get it to grow. And you would never be really sure if the root system had actually found its own water source. And you didn't want to water that tree for the rest of your life. It had to get deep enough to survive. And so when you found a wild olive tree, you knew that it had already found a water source strong enough for it to produce a tree. And you may be thinking, like I was, why graft? Just take the olive tree, right? Walk out and say, this olive tree is now mine. Please don't touch it. Or go harvest the fruit off of it when it grows. One problem. Wild olive trees don't produce fruit. They look like an olive tree. They have leaves like an olive tree. They grow like an olive tree. They don't produce fruit. Only the cultivated olive trees do that. So what these guys would do is they would take a branch off of one of their cultivated olive trees that they know grows fruit. And they would take it to a wild olive tree and they would graft it into the wild olive tree. Knowing that as it starts to get the sap out of that tree, that they're going to get fruit off of that branch. What you would never do is take a wild olive branch that doesn't produce fruit and take it and put it inside your fruit-producing tree. Because in order to do that, you're going to have to cut away some branches that produce fruit so enough sap could flow to it. And you're counting on a hope that it would take in enough sap that it would change its nature in order to start producing fruit. You wouldn't take the risk. You wouldn't do something crazy like that. And yet that is the picture that Paul's describing here. He's looking at this church and saying, you know who you are? You know who we are as Gentiles. We're a wild olive branch. And then he says this. So he paints this picture in verse 17 of taking this branch and going to the, the roots. You're drawing off the roots. And and there's no chance that you're going to produce fruit unless you change your nature, right? He says this in verse 18. Do not consider yourselves to be superior to those branches. If you do, consider this. You do not support the root, but the root supports you. I'm not taking you into my kingdom because you're special. I'm taking you into my kingdom 
because you're in need of a help. And I'm the only one who has the ability to change your nature, to get you to do something that you wouldn't do unless you were tied into me. That's what's happening. And to have a superior attitude that somehow you're special and that's why God reached out and brought you into his kingdom. It's backwards. It's special because God reached out and brought something hopeless into us. It's why you see in the scriptures God talking about changing who we are, making us new creatures. Why? Because his goal of tying us into himself is that you will start to go against your nature and start to produce fruit that lines up with God's kingdom. Something you could never do outside of Messiah. He says, I know what you'll say in verse 19. You'll say, branches were broken off that I could be grafted in. Like, you made space for me, I must be special. I made space for you because I loved you and you were hopeless. And unless you were tied into me, you were going to remain that way. And out of my deep, abiding love for you, I gave you a place in God's kingdom where things could be different for you. He kind of summarizes all of this. Verse 24. After all, if you were cut out of an olive tree that is wild by nature and contrary to nature were grafted into a cultivated olive tree, how much more readily will these, the natural olive branches, grafted into their own tree. When we become the kind of people that draw Israel back, they're going to be grafted back in and it's going, to be, it's going to be like it's natural again for them. They've not been rejected. So he's dealing with that. But I, I want to deal with the other side of it too. God's not saying this stuff um, out of cruelty to those of us who are not Jewish. But it is a gut check because there's this, having some sense of pride about where you're at with God is so tempting and easy to think that it's about us, to think it's about how good we've been or how good we'll be. And it doesn't have anything to do with that. And I can tell you, humbling yourself is horribly um, disorienting and we don't like it. And so we don't do it. And Paul was trying to set the stage for them. He was trying to put them in a place where they would have the right thinking about who they were and how they were. Last Friday, I had, I had a day, right? I, um, I had had a really long week, and I had, had, I had Friday open up, and I realized I had a chance to go and do some stuff. Um, and so I, was, I went to haul some stuff. And I put it in the back of my truck, and I looked at it, and it was secure, right? It was good. And I was driving a distance with it in the back of the truck, and, and two and a half hours into my three-hour trip, I learned that it wasn't secure. When it tipped over, and I dumped half of it out on the road on US 33, right below US 20, um, it's no problem. A semi behind me ran all the stuff over. No big deal, right? So don't worry. Nobody was hurt. It, he crushed everything, right? I'm now out on the road playing Frogger, trying to get this stuff off the road. Semis are coming. Cars are coming. 
the police pull up, like, and they're, they're starting to help me, flat out, I'm embarrassed, right? Because I, re- I really thought I had it secured. I really thought it was set. And I can tell you that, hum- that humbling yourself in that way is hard. It was hard to look at those officers who were kind of jumping out in the road and pulling stuff off the road. And fi- finally they just looked at me and they said, you need to leave the rest of this for the county. You can go. <laughs> like, oh my word. It's, it was terrible. It was terrible. And um, I got on the phone with my wife, who was really helpful, um, and pointed out all the things that I did wrong that allowed that to transpire. And you know what I wanted to do? Defend myself, except there was one problem. I couldn't. She was right. She was right about all of it. There was nothing to defend. You're not special because you're somehow good. You're special because you were loved by a God who looked past your nature and included you in his kingdom anyway. And it's an incredible gift. And this morning when we come to take communion, I'm hoping that you'll keep that in your mind. That you'll accept this message of humility from God. You're not, you're not the reason that you're in God's kingdom. You're blessed for that. And he's hoping that you'll live a life in a certain way that will draw others in. But he wants you to remember the sacrifice because it changes the way you think about you and the way you think about the people that you interact with. Um, if you're helping with communion, if you would come forward. going to get interesting. Honey, can you hold the mic for me? You have to follow me like it's a wireless mic. I follow you anywhere. Oh, boy. Come this way. Uh, Jesus, the first time he did communion, um, it was in a different place. It was in a, a Passover meal, which would have been pretty normal, and there were Moments where the Passover reflected some of this stuff, but what he was about to do had never been done before. He actually uh, took the bread that was there. It would have been this type of bread. It's okay that we use this. It's not a big deal. But there would have been no bread with any kind of leaven at it. And so when Jesus said, my body broken for you, he would have broken this cracker-type bread, and it would have shattered all over the place, pieces everywhere. And the evidence of his broken body would have been just lying there. And he passed that around and he said, this, I want you to take this in remembrance of me. And they would not have understood fully what he was talking about until they reflected back on what had just happened. Don't go anywhere. Thanks. And there would have been a cup on the table. And when they, when they would have taken this cup, they would have drank it all the way down. And then it would have been refilled for the next person. And he looked at them and he said, this is my blood. 
Do this in remembrance of me. Now these things weren't literally his broken body and his blood. They were something that helped them recall. And this is what I wanted, I wanted to do for you this morning. I want you to recall that God made a sacrifice on your behalf so that you could be grafted into a kingdom that you were not a part of. That you, It's not natural for you. There's no good reason that we're involved except out of his love and sacrifice. And having done that, we have a chance at a nature that we would never have had on our own. And as you come, I want you to keep that in the center of your mind, that I'm remembering what God did for me. And I'm here because of what God did for me, not about me. I'm going to come back. I'm going to serve these guys real quick. I'm going to come back and give you a few more instructions. As you sit in silence, I ask you to start preparing your heart for the communion that we're about to take together. There's going to be three lines, uh, one at the center door, one here, one down under here. Um, Tracy's going to have some gluten. I'll be right back with a cup, so you can come and just wait here patiently for that if you need the gluten-free. Um, you're going to approach somebody. They're going to offer you the bread, and they're going to say, the body of Christ broken for you, and you're going to tear a piece of that off. Then you're going to move to the next person. They're going to say, the blood of Christ shed for you. You're going to dip that in the cup, and then you're going to take that. And as you go back to your seat, um, you can pray, you can talk to God about what that means, what his sacrifice means for you. You can worship with a band, you can just sit quietly and reflect. You do whatever you want, but I just ask that you would give God your full attention during this time. And then at the end of that, we're going to ask you to sing. You'll be asked to join and, and worship God as we end the service together. As you come forward, remember, you've been grafted into God's kingdom out of his great love Please join us taking communion this morning.